0: Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, or the title of our message today, Happy Thanks Living. Hashtag. Pretty cool, huh? Kind of hip. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I connect with the young people. Thanks Living hashtag. No, you can get rid of the hashtag, but I think there's a purpose behind that title. We often focus on a holiday, but forget that it's a attitude of gratitude that should mark every day of our lives, every moment, right? There are plenty of reasons to give him thanks as we we saw, 10,000 reasons thousands upon thousands of reasons to give God thanks. Well, let me pray and then we're going to get started. You can go ahead and turn to Proverbs 1, get your fingers moving that way and we'll pray. Father, we do thank you And may our thanksgiving be praise as we think of who you are and what you've done for us and what you will do for us. Lord, we're so blessed to know you. You are the God who forgives sins. You forgive all our sins. You're the God who heals. You're the God who redeems our life from the pit. You're the God who crowns us with steadfastness and love. You're a God who's like a compassionate father. You're a God of justice. We could go on and on. Lord, we're so thankful to know you. Help us today to be challenged with our attitudes, with our lifestyles. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to apply this to our lives, that we would be living lives of thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that this message would be applicable and so that we would fight against anxiety with gratitude and we would know how to fight against our apathy our apathy with gratitude. And so we pray that we would be able to take this beyond the doors. Work in our lives, Father. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we need you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been doing a series on Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. And we've been looking at major themes in the book of Proverbs. And I don't know, does anybody remember the theme verse? I mentioned it the very first time we got together on this, so you're okay if you don't. That is it, that is it. Now there are two verses that really capture that. You could look at Proverbs chapter one with me for a moment. Proverbs chapter one and verse seven. This is the theme verse of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one and verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and they despise discipline. So the first step towards knowledge and knowing how to use knowledge is to fear God, to have a fear of God, an awe of God, a respect of God, an awe, a reverence for God. Go over to chapter 9, verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10, and similar words, instead of the beginning of knowledge, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of Of wisdom, knowledge can be contained in your head. It's cognitive, it's informational, but wisdom is skill. It's knowing how to apply God's knowledge in God's world in a way that pleases God. It's to go with the grain of the universe. It's to know how to live in God's world in a way that pleases him. And if you want to live a life that pleases God, you need to have a fear of the Lord. Now, I think that that looks like this. I think the fear of the Lord looks like submitting to God respecting God. I think it looks like obeying his commands. Fearing God looks like acknowledging God. It looks like a life of gratitude. If you fear the Lord, you're constantly thinking about him and what he's done for you and who he is for you. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 3 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6. This is, I think, Practically what fearing God looks like in our everyday life. Chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. If you fear the Lord, if you have an awe of God, you will lean on him and not on your own wisdom and understanding. And you will acknowledge him all your days. You'll acknowledge him and everything. You'll give him thanks and gratitude. You'll honor him and respect him. So this has been a series on Proverbs. And today, of course, we're thinking about thanksgiving. But I want to rise above Proverbs. I want to go up to 35,000 feet and get an aerial view of gratitude and thanksgiving. I think it'll be helpful and it'll be practical for our lives. So I think we all know we're the holiday of Thanksgiving got started. I mean, you've watched the Peanuts special. You know that it came from uh, the pilgrims, right? But after that, of course, our national holiday of Thanksgiving started with Abraham Lincoln in 1863 when he established the national holiday for the, the last Thursday of every November. We know that. But where did this really begin? It wasn't Abraham Lincoln that invented Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving. It was God's idea. This is God's idea. A life of praise, a life of fearing him, a life of honoring him and acknowledging him. I I can't help but think of that shorter catechism that says, the chief end of man, this is why we're here, the purpose of life, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I, I like the way one Bible teacher put it. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So that's what life is about. It's about acknowledging God and fearing God in that way, right? Thanksgiving. Now, I have to be honest with you. I don't mean to be negative, but I'm not so sure that Thanksgiving, that a thanks living goes, is really climbing the charts in America, that a heart of gratitude characterizes the USA or Europe or the world in general. Um, I used to work customer service. <laughs> so I, I remember what it was like to be the first person they saw as they walked into the gym or the club or the store. Good morning, how are you? You know, a bunch of Scrooges and cranks. And, but I see it in my own heart. I see a lack of gratitude. I see a murmuring spirit. And so I heard this story the, the other day. Now, it's not perfectly theology, theologically correct, let's be honest. But a man had a dream that he went to heaven... And Peter, of course, was there to meet him and give him a tour, a heavenly tour. And the first room they stopped at was a large and full and bustling room, full of activity, angels flitting to and fro. The man asked Peter, what's going on in this room? Well, Peter answered, this is receiving, where all the prayer requests come in and they get processed by the angels and forwarded unto God. So it's not theologically correct, but go with me. Then they walked into the next room, and it was also large and very busy. Angels were busy. What's this room? He asked. Peter said, this is shipping, where all the answers and blessings are prepared and then shipped out. Then they came to a third room, and it was very small and very cramped, and there was only one angel in there. And he looked about as bored and lonely as the Maytag repairman. And this newcomer to heaven asked, what is this room? And Peter answered, This is acknowledgments. This is gratitude. This is where we receive all the thanks for the answered prayers and blessings. Let's be honest. It's wonderful that we get to go to our Father and say, Would you give me my daily bread? And we're so privileged to do that. But if I'm honest, I don't always overflow with gratitude. I complain. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so are you, so I'm not alone. I feel better. So there's another story. It's, It's the story told by Shakespeare in his play King Lear. It's the story of a king who voluntarily gives all of his inheritance. And he gives his royalties and his titles and his properties to his three daughters, only to find himself at the end of the day hopelessly and helplessly reduced to poverty and homelessness. The king is homeless. These three daughters, they go on to cruelly and callously forget all about their father, the king. They get it all, and they turn their backs on their father. King Lear, he laments. This is what he says. Ingratitude, you marble-hearted friend. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Let that sink in for a minute. I like to say it. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Yeah, it's one of those moments where you you get caught off guard and you admit, yeah, I am, even as I was driving here this morning, I think, Lord, I'm preaching the sermon and Lord, help me to live it out now because I don't do it well. I complain. I murmur. I get bitter. I get angry. I forget. I lose perspective. I focus on the storm rather than on the God who's over the storm and with me in it. Lord, help me to be full of gratitude. And so, there needs to be more acknowledgement, more gratitude in our lives. May we not be thankless, thankless children. Well, as I said, I, I want to kind of do an overview. And so here are a few points. Point number one, as we look at scripture and we survey the theme of gratitude, in the scriptures, our thankfulness should be God-centered. Our thanksgiving should be God-centered. Our prayers of thanksgiving, our our gratitude should be focused on who God is and what he's done, as opposed to being agnostic. You know what it is to be an atheist, an atheist is someone who does not believe in God, says with assurance, there is no God. An agnostic is someone who is less sure, who says, "I, I don't know if there is a God or not. I think that's more reasonable and rational than atheism, for sure. It's someone with a big question mark over the God question in their life one who is not certain if God exists, they're basically practical atheists. They live as if God doesn't exist. But most people in America are thankful. They feel a sense of gratitude, but they're agnostic in their thanksgiving. If you go around the table, most of us do this. Is this your tradition? Let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for. Wonderful tradition. I really like that. But most of us, this is what one writer said, American Thanksgiving is often agnostic. Many Americans feel a sense of gratitude, but strangely, we know not to whom we should give the thanks. We often pat ourselves on the back, or we feel a a sense of self-sufficiency, right? Who put that food in the pantry? Well, I did, I went to work and I worked hard. My question would be, who gave you your health? And who allowed those circumstances to come together so you got that job? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, James says, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He's good, and every gift comes from above. Paul says to the Corinthians, with all their gifts, this church in Corinth had all the spiritual gifts. He says, listen, with your pride, what do you have that you didn't receive? America's Thanksgiving is often thankfulness of agnosticism. May our thanksgiving be what it is in scripture. In scripture, gratitude is praise. It's the way you praise often. It is a way of praising God. It is one of the ways that Israel would come into the temple. They would bring sacrifices of thanksgiving, but God wanted more than the sacrifice, the physical animal. He wanted the heart attitude, and that was how you praised God, and that's how we do it today, is a life full of gratitude, acknowledging God That is worship. And so in the Bible, Thanksgiving is God-centered. It's praise. It's worship. Point number two, Thanksgiving and praise go together. So it's God-centered praise. I think I just basically made that point. Look in your Bibles at Psalm 100. It's a very short little psalm. This would be a great one to memorize. Psalm 100, here we see that there's almost an overlap in... The words praise and thanksgiving, they, they overlap, they go together. There's almost a parallelism here. Psalm 100, we should have God-centered praise and our thanksgiving should be understood to be a form of worship. You're acknowledging God. Look at Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before the Lord with joyful songs, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Here it is, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. But do but you see there's an overlap between praise, worship, and gratitude? Gratitude. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts, enter that with praise. Give thanks and bless the Lord. Worship is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is worship. Or you could just trust me on this one or turn there. Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm, verse 18 of chapter 34, 34, 18. I will give you thanks. In the assembly, I will give you thanks. Among throngs of people, I will praise you. So, I will give you thanks in the great assembly of God's people. In other words, in the throngs of your people, I will praise you. See how important thanksgiving is, gratitude is? It is worship. It is worship. And as we'll soon see, the opposite of gratitude is idolatry. The opposite of gratitude is idolatry putting something else in the place of God. Something will get your praise. Something will receive your gratitude. It might be you. Praise me. It might be something or someone else. But if it's not an acknowledgement of God for who he is and what he's done, it is idolatry. So our thanksgiving should be God-centered. Number two, thanksgiving and praise go together in the Bible. Three, God's people should be characterized. By thankful hearts. That's why we said, how about instead of just a holiday, Thanksgiving, we transfer it over into everyday life, thanks living, right? It's to characterize the people of God. It's to characterize our daily lives. Look at Ephesians. So, I know we're giving you a a finger workout today. It's okay. you got to get those fingers ready for those forks so you can handle that turkey and that food. Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It's right before Philippians there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Paul is characterizing the unregenerate life, what we were like before we knew Christ, and often how we live and act when we lose perspective as believers. He characterizes the unbelieving life and then He counteracts it with a command. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, he begins to talk about our speech. Nor should there be any foolish talk or coarse joking. Which are out of place, but rather, what's it say? But instead, thanksgiving. There's this tidal wave of immorality and immoral speech. And then he blocks it with, but let instead there be thanksgiving coming out of your mouth. It's very interesting. It, it seems that thanksgiving, gratitude, offering praise to God is a remedy for immoral speech and immoral living. It seems to be a safeguard. Think about it, if I am focused on the Lord, acknowledging who He is, what He's done for me, what He's done in my life, it doesn't give me a lot of time to focus on my flesh. And so, it's hard to sin when you're busy thanking God. They're like oil and water. Gratitude is a remedy, as we'll, we'll focus on that last point, as the last point this morning, It is a remedy. It is a medicine. It is a tonic for our lives. Thanksgiving is. It's so important. We should talk about it more. It's the solution to ungodliness in the heart and ungodly speech. Instead of the dirty jokes and the sexual innuendos, and how about instead we just praise him? Instead of cutting each other down and gossip and fighting and bickering and devouring each other, how about we praise God and encourage each other? That's a challenge for all of us. Look at this. It characterizes the people of God, Thanksgiving does. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a little Bible study this morning. This is good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, Paul's writing to a young baby church that he founded, and they're severely persecuted. They have lots of things they could complain about, We think we have it tough. We don't know what New Testament-sized persecution looks like. Maybe some of us do, but it's not common in the Western church. These people are facing excruciating torture, persecution. They're maligned. They're losing jobs. They're persecuted. Many trials. And he says to them in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18, As he's wrapping up the letter, rejoice always. Really, Paul? Always? You know what we're going through? No, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we're so busy asking, God, what is your will for my life? Uh, I'm at a, a crossroads. Which way do you want me to go? Which college? Which person should I marry? What job should I take? What what should I do? And those are important things to wrestle through with God. Lord, open and shut doors. But how about we start with, here's his moral will is right here. That's the first place to start. What is your will for me, Lord? What will put a smile on your face? A life of thanksgiving. You know, how is it possible to rejoice, though, when you're a Thessalonian and you're being persecuted? How is it possible to give thanks to God in everything? Even in the midst of loss, financial reversal, job loss, loss of a loved one. How is it possible to be full of rejoicing and thanksgiving? You have to have Christ as your treasure. That's the key. You have to take hold of something outside this world that is your treasure, that can't be stripped away from you by persecution. It has to be Christ is my treasure. And then I can rejoice no matter what. And then I can give thanks no matter what. So there are no conditions here. Uh, Give thanks, but only if. No, in everything. And and you can give thanks if you know that God is, for example, sovereign and good. You know, that's, that's how James can say to persecuted believers, consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, because you know something, you know that God is working all things together for your good, essentially. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance have its full work in your life so you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When you know that God takes your trials and he puts them in his sovereign hand and he makes them into servants for your good and your maturity, well, then you can rejoice all the time, and you can give thanks all the time. We're not masochists. We're not supposed to enjoy the pain. That's weird. We're not supposed to be enjoying the evil or praising the evil, but we're praising God who's above it. And so it's an unconditional command. For example, and you don't have to turn there, but in Colossians 3.15, as he's, again, getting ready to come over the hump and wrap up the letter, he says, simply, one command, be thankful. And be thankful. So thanksgiving and gratitude are the mark of the believer. They should characterize our life. On the other side of that, though, ingratitude is a mark of the unbeliever, of the unbelieving heart. And I'm not saying if you ever struggle with ingratitude, you're not a Christian. We're we're not perfect. We're in progress. We're growing. We're under construction. But the fact of the matter is that we have to continue to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Start practicing our position. Be who you are. Stop with the ingratitude, Mr. Eels. Let's go. That's what marked my unbelieving life. That's what marks the unbelieving world. It's one of the vices of the unregenerate world outside of Christ, is ingratitude and complaining and murmuring. I mean, look at Romans chapter 1. I'm not going to let up on you. Romans chapter 1. It's good to maneuver our sword and and work it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. I've said this to you before. Paul's writing in chapter, the whole book of Romans is Paul writing like a prosecuting attorney, at least for the first three chapters. He's a prosecuting attorney making a case against all humanity. I mean, he really drives home his case in chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in chapter 2, he says, listen, the Jew, the Jew is guilty because they've had the law, they've had the book, they know God's commandments, they know his character, they know his will, and yet they, they don't even live up to that. They have enough light, and they don't live up to the light. And so they're without excuse. Yeah, Paul, but what about the Gentile, the the pagan, the people who don't have the law, the Romans, the Greeks, the people who, who live in some deep, dark jungle out in the middle of Ecuador? What about someone who doesn't have the law written on the page? Well, he says, they have enough revelation, general revelation in God's creation. And yet, they still do not acknowledge him. They do not live up to the light. L- let's look at it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Again, he's writing like a prosecuting attorney. He's making a case against all humanity and their desperate need for rescue. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, It's plain to everyone. They're without excuse because God has made it plain to them. For since the very creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen, perceived, being understood from what has been made so that man is without excuse. Listen to this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor did they give him thanks. They didn't honor God, nor did they give him thanks. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. See, what we're saying, the unbelieving world They know, they can perceive design in creation. They see a vast universe. They see, they look within the cell, they see the nanotechnology, they see uh, evidence of a designer, they see a fine-tuned universe, they see the goodness of God in the seasons, but they suppress the truth. They do not acknowledge him. They do not give him thanks. And what happens when you do not give the creator thanks They exchange. It's a horrible exchange. They exchange the glory and the acknowledgement they should give to God and they give it to the things he made. How dumb is that? It's a foolish exchange. When we say, praise God for the food, the family, the fitness, the falling in love, all those wonderful things, but ignore God. We don't see him, but we see all the things. We worship the gifts and not the giver. We eye our bridegroom's garments, and we ignore the bridegroom. It's foolish. That's what marks the unbelieving world. They're agnostic in their thanksgiving. They do not acknowledge God. And if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, you see the same thing. Paul says, we are in the last days. We're in the last days. We're walking into the headwinds of the last days, and this is what characterizes the last days. Tell me if this sounds familiar. The sins and the vices of a pagan society. He says, but realize this. This is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malice, malicious gossips, without self control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you saw that I left one out. And they will be ungrateful. Ungrateful. May we not be those children who are ungrateful. This last point, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you as it's been to me. I want to say that Thanksgiving is the cure. That gratitude is the tonic. It is the medicine. It is the balm for our problems. Simply because gratitude is lifting your eyes and looking at God. God and giving him his due and his worth. It's worship. It's lifting your eyes from yourself and your problems to God. So thanksgiving, it should characterize us, and it will be gratitude practiced. So it's going to have to be a choice. We're going to have to go out and practice this. This will be the cure for so many of our problems. Let's just deal with two today. It will be the cure for our anxiety. It will be the cure for our apathy. Practicing Thanksgiving will be the cure for our anxiety and our worry. It will be the cure for our apathy. And so, I, I, I think of what the Lord Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6. He teaches us not to worry. It doesn't do you any good. Every day has its own worries. Why worry about what you can't control and what comes tomorrow? You know, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's completely apt that worry, anxiety is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it just doesn't get you anywhere, right? It's just a waste of your time and your energy. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Again, Paul is closing out a letter and he's, he's telling the people of God, this is what I want to see characterized in your life. Th- these are choices you need to make. So chapter 4 of Philippians. We all know this well. Let's start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gladness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And then, verse 7, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a promise is that? But it's one you got to go after. You want peace, that inner tranquility? You want to be that calm sea in the midst of a storm? You have to do something. You have to rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. You have to remind yourself, Jesus is near. He's with us, but He's coming soon. That gives you perspective in the storm. The king's coming. Look at the horizon. And you need to pray. Rather than shoulder it all yourself, how about you take it off and just hand it to the king, to your father, and say, I need you to fix this. I can't do it. I don't have the resources. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the insight. I don't have the perspective. I don't have the strength. And you own it all, Lord. You deal with my struggles and my problems. So anxiety, we all struggle with it on some level, worry. And we have to know what to do with it. You have to hand it over to the Lord. And so we're to pray in everything. So instead, instead of worrying always, the tonic is to pray always. But there's a qualification with a thankful heart, with thanksgiving. Hand it over to the king. Let him deal with it. We know what Psalm 91 says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What does trust look like? What does running to God as a fortress and a refuge look like? It looks like help. It looks like prayer but prayer with a certain attitude. It's prayer with a thankful heart. This isn't just a naked prohibition. Don't worry. Pray always. Pray. So the next time you have a worrisome thought, stop. Pray. And let me challenge you to thank God for something in that moment. Thank God for who he is in your struggle and what he can do, what he will do, Thank him for his blessings. I've had one of those weeks where things haven't gone well, where the bathroom door broke, and then the toilet broke, and then there was a leak on the floor again. And it just, you know, you know how it goes. Homeownership. But thank you, Lord, that I have a home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I have insurance. (laughs) there's so many things to thank the Lord for. I mean, this is such a minor issue, Right? I have healthy children. I have a wonderful church family. More importantly, I know the Lord Jesus. I know where I'm going. I have peace with God. Lift your eyes to him and leave your problems with him and bring your request to him, your petitions. But with thanksgiving, present your request to God with a thankful heart, and that will please him. Take it off your shoulders, put it on him. This is what we discover uh, from Peter. Peter, First Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he does care for you. He cares for you. It's, that's a prayer that takes to heart my favorite passage, Romans 8:28. God works all things, all things, even the bad things together for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Just know that he will work it all together for your good, to make you more like Christ Jesus but do it with a thankful heart. That is a choice. I've told this story many times before, but Matthew Henry, you know, he's the Bible commentary. He's got a big commentary like that. He was a preacher, itinerant preacher. He would travel and share the gospel and preach in different churches. Well, there was one particular incident, uh, a day where he was riding on horseback and someone stopped him and jumped him and stole his wallet. And so instead of complaining, he went home and he remembered this verse. Instead of, Anxiety and worry and letting it just take me over. I'm going to go home and I'm going to practice thanksgiving and I'm going to leave my requests with the Lord. And so he wrote in his journal, I'm thankful that I've never been robbed before. I'm thankful that although he took my wallet, he did not take my life. Although he took all I had, it wasn't much anyway. I am thankful, I am glad that it was I who was doing not the robbing i'm thankful that i was the one robbed but not the one any longer doing the robbing so he knew how to make lemonade out of lemons right and it was simply by going to the lord with requests and concerns and doing it with a thankful heart that is how mature people of god deal with tough times we get our eyes off our problems and ourselves And we lift our eyes to the Lord who can solve the problems and we give him thanks for all that he's doing through the problems. And the result, it says in verse 7, is peace. It comes rushing in. It's not the peace that the world can understand or explain. I've met people in the most dire of circumstances. I met a lady who lost a, a son. That's my worst fear is losing a child. I can't even fathom how you handle that. And she said she lifted her voice to the Lord. The Lord was giving her hymns and songs in the night. She praised him and she thanked him for all the things that she had. She thanked the Lord for the son that she'd had for 14 years. She thanked the Lord. She praised the Lord, gave him thanks. She lifted her eyes above herself and her problems. And she said, I I can't explain to you the peace that came over me. I could have never expected or understood that peace apart from God's grace in that moment. He gave me just what I needed. And and I think we've all experienced that. When we've leaned on the Lord, it's a choice. You have to decide to practice the gratitude, right? And so let us do that. Lean hard into the Lord with a thankful heart. Receive holy repose and serenity that only God can give you. It's, It's like the hymn says, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest, but you have to stay upon Jehovah. You have to lean into him. You have to run to him and praise him. Now, how do you deal, not just with anxiety, but how do you deal with apathy? That's something that I hate to see in myself and I struggle with. I hate to see it in our young people, in my children. How do you deal with that? Well, I want to give you, as we're wrapping this up, I want to give you a tool. I want to give you a particular passage that's been such a help to me. It's a psalm. It's Psalm 103. And what's so interesting about Psalm 103 is that it's not a psalm so much about praise and thanksgiving. It's it's an assistance to praise. It is a tool to help you to praise. What's so encouraging is that it's King David. And he's admitting that he's struggling with apathy. I can picture in my mind's eye, I can see David And you can see through into his soul, and there's a little flame, but it's flickering out. It's about to go out. And so he's going to fan the flame of praise and worship and thanksgiving by meditating on who God is and his blessings and his character. He's discovered one of the keys to destroying and fighting against apathy and spiritual dryness. Do you ever get that? You know, we have our spiritual highs, and then you come back from camp, and the real world sinks in. Or you leave church and the, you get to Wednesday and it sinks in. We all struggle with apathy. There are days I get up and I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praising the Lord or thanking Him. There's a dryness, a spiritual dryness. But what's so encouraging is that they're real people in the Bible and we can learn from them. Look at Psalm, we'll start to close things out, but look at Psalm 107, just, sorry, 103 for just a moment. This is a tool, so let's go home and, and do what David does here. Psalm. I can't talk and turn at the same time. So there we go. You'll notice in verse one, David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. He's giving himself a spiritual pep talk. Do you ever talk to yourself? I talk to myself. People are like, what? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Talking to myself. Well, he's talking to his own heart. Come on, heart. Praise the Lord and all that's within me. He, he sees in himself a half-heartedness, a, an apathy. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Verse 2, praise the Lord, O my soul. And here's how he is going to stoke the fire again. Here's how he's going to fan the flames. Here how, here's how he's going to stir up praise and gratitude in his heart again. It's in verse 2. Forget not all his benefits. Come on, soul. Praise the Lord wholeheartedly forget not his many benefits forget not David arouses himself says one writer to thanksgiving by using his mind and his memory to kindle his emotions and there's more than enough fuel in this psalm to turn a fluttering dying flame in his heart into a roaring fire of praise and gratitude again David is fanning the flame by remembering by rehearsing by meditating on God's blessings. And his promises and his character. One of the old timers that discipled me back in Atlantic, Iowa, his name was Bud Lindemann. And Bud would say this often to me. He said, Our problem is that we remember all the things God wants us to forget, and we forget all the things that God wants us to remember. That's our problem. I forget all the things God wants me to forget, or every, let me, I remember all the things God wants me to forget, right? I meditate on my past and my struggles and all the negatives instead of remembering the things that God wants me to remember, the important things, like who he is, what his promises are, what the future holds for me in Christ Jesus. And so he goes through and he remembers, he meditates on all these blessings from God. I'll just give you a sample. The first five verses, he meditates on, he remembers God's blessings, and he piles up these verbs So forget not his benefits, verse 3. He's a God who forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He just piles up these verbs, God's blessings, his kind activities towards us. I mean, just the first one he starts with, the Lord forgives all our sins. Isn't that enough? To start to thaw out your hard heart and make you want to give him thanks. And so let's challenge, as you continue to read your Proverbs every day, what if we were to go this Thanksgiving break and just meditate on Psalm 103 and just rehearse all the things God's done for us. He's like a compassionate father. Wow. Uh, He is one, we're told in verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is for us. He uses the imagery of immeasurable distances to speak of the greatness of God's love. As high as the heavens are above, that's how great his love is for us. Or verse 12, uh, he says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sins from us. So when he's looking at me, he's not seeing my sins. And when he looks at my sins, he's not seeing me. That's how much God loves us. I mean, see, when you preach this to your heart, when you preach the gospel to your heart, it stirs up a heart of gratitude. And that will help you with your apathy and your anxiety. It'll solve a lot of problems in our church, in our lives. Father, we're so thankful that today we can come into your presence and just meditate on this truth you've called us to, gratitude. And may it not just be words we say on a holiday around a dinner table, May we live lives of gratitude. May we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual act of worship, lives of gratitude. May we be characterized by it. May people see it in us. May it cause people around us to say, tell me about the hope that you have within you. Help us to be ready to give that answer. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.